0: So, uh, like many parables that Jesus tells, this one is deceptive, is not the right word. Uh, we'll call it multi layered because it fits very specifically um, in Matthew 20. And there are a lot of different ways you can read it. Um, in one sense, it's kind of putting Jesus' disciples in their place, uh, Jesus is also kind of speaking about socially, sort of the, the coming weeks. Um, And then he also kind of has in mind, like this, the the great catastrophe that's coming in a generation, the destruction of the temple. Uh, And he's also speaking fundamentally about the economy of God. There's a lot there. And if your eyes are glazing over, we're not going to get into, like, any of that, Um, except for that last part, the economy of God. Because fundamentally, that's what's informing the way that Jesus is speaking right now. Um, Like any good parable, he's using an image, Um, or a scene that would be very familiar to everybody there. Uh, You have a landowner uh, or a manager of a vineyard, and a vineyard is kind of a well-worn metaphor uh, for the people of God. Uh, You see that in the Hebrew Bible to describe the the people of Israel a lot, um, and for good reason. Uh, Vineyards are really hard work, and they take pruning and tending, um, just like people do. Um, And if you need laborers, you would go to kind of like the central, like, or like a city center, town center, and there inevitably would be a bunch of men and boys old enough to work, uh, standing around waiting to be hired. Um, I, I actually, I don't know if Albuquerque does this, but uh, I know in California you'd see a lot like around uh, hardware stores, like guys looking for work. Um, I say I don't know that in, in Albuquerque because I, I haven't been to a hardware store early enough in the day because I hate mornings, so whatever. Um, but I'm seeing some nods, so... Uh, it's kind of a rare moment where there's a scene that Jesus describes that we immediately can grab. So this guy, um, there's work to do in the vineyard, and so he hires a bunch of workers. He agrees with, or they agree with each other, rather, um, that he'll pay them a denarius. That is the acceptable amount of money for a day's worth of work. Um, apparently, they're a little short-handed or something like that, so he returns, and there are some guys standing around, so he hires them. And then Jesus, of course, being a good storyteller, kind of keeps close to his chest just how much they're going to get. Um, we've established that the people who are there all day get a denarius. And then he goes silent on the amount until the very end for the big surprise. Um, the the uh, master of the vineyard goes back a couple of times. And each time he hires more guys. Later and later into the day, including the 11th hour. And if you've heard that phrase, sometimes we'll say it's the 11th hour. This is actually where we get that phrase, which I think is kind of cool. So uh, one thing that we might miss is the desperation in these workers. This is an era and a, uh, an area where people generally lived hand to mouth. If you didn't work that day, there was a reasonable chance you will not eat. And uh, it has to do with uh, the way poverty kind of worked back then, and and it's not like uh, you're you're very rarely going to be able to get ahead financially enough to buy enough food to last you like a week or something like that. Um, So, uh, yes, there were like social safety nets within that community, uh, but they were tenuous at best. So if you're standing around waiting, notice that those guys didn't go home. They're still holding out hope. Um, because they know that there's going to be a really big problem if they can't find work for that day. But thanks to this vineyard owner, they're able to. Now, when it comes time to pay them, as we've heard the story go, uh, he he brings the last first, and he does that on purpose, and he gives them a whole day's pay, even though they worked an hour. And uh, put yourself in that situation. You've been working all day. That guy over there worked a single hour, and he gets a whole whole denarius a whole day's wage you're thinking i'm set also this guy's loaded. i'm going to work for him again and then as the people who worked uh, more and more throughout the day get their pay they notice that they keep getting the same um and predictably the people who worked the entirety of the day they had to deal with the heat of the day and so on and so forth uh they are upset and the master says look you got what we agreed on and you got what is quite, or quite so a fair pay. What difference does it make? What the other people got. And then Jesus kind of you know, hits us with that punchline, so the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Um, it's not a coincidence that before this, Jesus has been having conversations with his disciples about who the greatest is. And there's been some internal conflict within the disciples about who the greatest is. And then Jesus being Jesus needs to, flipped out on its head. Um, My first question is why? Why would that be so frustrating? Because I think for most, if not all of us, if we were in the position of the people who worked all day, it would be maddening that a person who worked for an hour gets the same amount of money as we do. Why? If I'm getting what I would agree to be a fair wage. There's actually other, uh, I think in Tacitus, a a Roman writer um, talks about like a a soldier revolt of sorts where they were demanding a fair wage, which was a denarius per day. Uh, So this was very fair. Like if I'm getting what I am quite literally due, what I am owed, why am I gonna get mad if somebody else gets what they are not owed in my estimation? It's not fair. That's a really hard question to answer. It's not clear to me why that is so frustrating, but but I feel it in my bones. And it seems to be that, that we as human beings have just hardwired into us this sense of fairness. And if you don't think that it's hardwired into us, do an experiment. Find two, three or four year olds, sit them next to each other, give one one cupcake and one two cupcakes, and then watch the fireworks. I see our kindergarten teacher just nodding. <laughs> it's, nobody taught him that. It's just there. And it's really spooky. And it doesn't usually go away as we get older. Why? I really don't know. I'm not a psychologist. Um, but what Jesus is highlighting here is this uncomfortable reality that the economy of God is not fair. Say that again, because it's irritating. The economy of God is not fair. Who who said anything about fairness? Not Jesus. Now, uh, this has some very, very distinct uh, applications to us today. Because I, I think one important way that Jesus intends this parable to be understood is what he might call discipleship. Um, and, and I have kind of in mind hypothetical uh, Jesus followers, hypothetical Christians, one on one end of the spectrum and one on the other end.
1: They have been baptized into the family of God. They have received, therefore, the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And all of that other theological jargon, um, they're part of Jesus. And man, they struggle. Uh, They're a new Christian. Uh, They've got quite the past that is constantly sinking its teeth into them. And it's just hard. And if you live long enough, you will know people like this who just, as my generation would say, decide that they need to live life on hard mode. And it's just always going to be a struggle. And so from like a sort of objective view, whether or not that exists is a whole other thing, you would say that they, they are part of God's family, but they are very, very new on that path of discipleship. And very likely will not get very far. Um, and then you have, on the other hand... Somebody who's been around for a while. Somebody who has been a faithful follower of Jesus uh, from the cradle. Um, I uh, I, 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 I was going to say like, uh, say, somebody who, whose name is like on the charter of the church, but we actually have somebody here like that, and I don't want to single her out. Um, <laughs> and so it's not, that's not my intention, <laughs> uh, because I don't have her in mind or anything like that. Um, just somebody, just, just a giant of the faith. And their lives have that kind of fruit that you would expect um, faithful in Bible study, always in worship, um, engaged uh, in, in the deep process of a life of prayer. Uh, maybe they, they serve well, And and, and we're all kind of given different gifts too, so some of this may apply to you, some of it may not, but some of us really like to get our hands dirty as we serve others who are in desperate need. Uh, Some of us are are teachers, we're communicators, we love to teach and proclaim the gospel. Others like to demonstrate it. Uh, Some people are, are the more contemplative type and want to pray. Some people are kind of up for anything and they're always volunteering because that's what they do as a, as a follower of Jesus. And so what Jesus in this parable is asking us to do is hold both of those together and say, nothing that I just talked about matters. That, that's, that's uncomfortable. That's uncomfortable. In fact, the Apostle Paul, uh, in Philippians, not in our Philippians reading for today, but in Philippians, will say, uh, in, in comparing himself, and there's a whole other backstory there, but he said, look, if anybody has a reason to boast about engaged, being engaged as a person in God's family, I have more. And he lists his credentials, and his credentials are, in that context, very impressive. And he says, but given the grace of Jesus, none of it matters. I count it all as nonsense, all as garbage. Now, this can either be deeply uncomfortable or it can be freeing. But in the economy of God, things work differently from the economy of basically anything else. Because in Jesus, we who are baptized into his death, raised in his new life, in that resurrection life, the things that we do, the ways that we engage in discipleship, the the ways that we serve God, the way that we serve others, the ways that we serve the church, these good things that we do are, on the one hand, quite good. Do them, please. Please. Um, God doesn't need them. The rest of the world does. By all means do them. And yet, in the family of God, they simply don't matter. That's not how you get here. That's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is Jesus accomplishing for you what you could never do for yourself. And so while that can be deeply uncomfortable, it can also be freeing. Because there are plenty of times where at least I would like to think of myself in this group over here, who have it together, (laughs) and then I actually kind of reflect on myself or ask my wife, (laughs) don't... um, And I realize that I am just as much the person over here that, in fact, everything I do is somehow tainted by sin. And I would suggest the same is true for you. Because even our intentions are flawed. The ways and reasons for doing things are flawed. Uh, Sometimes we, our heart is more or less in the right place but there's that qualifier, that more or less because it, maybe we, we really want to serve others and we want to do that because that's part of, it, it reflects what Jesus has done for us but at the same time it also looks really good. It feels good too. Prayer, engaging in deep, meditative prayer, praying for others is a good thing. Please do that. But it also feels good. It looks good. It sounds good. Being a teacher, proclaimer of God's word, so like a pastor. I'm not going to say it looks good because, eh. Um... But it feels good. In fact, it's addictive. It's seductive. And so, realistically, they all kind of belong in the category over here. <clears throat> and so, when Jesus tells this parable, he is looking ahead. through a couple of different layers and giving us a picture of the reality of God. That on the one hand, in the economy of God, things are simply not fair. And the extraordinarily mature person and the the person who's barely holding it together both have a place on the table. They are both redeemed by Jesus. Their sins forgiven, new life created in their hearts. And whatever we might think we have to offer God, whatever we do in the service of God and the church, whatever we do to essentially prove ourselves, advance ourselves, mature ourselves, demonstrate that we are in fact good faithful Christians, doesn't matter. And the most dangerous thing we could do is to convince ourselves that it does. Because in the economy of God, it is Jesus who does the saving. And he has dragged us, sometimes kicking and screaming, into his family. He has won for us what we could never do for ourselves. And therefore, we all get the same reward. The same pay. Regardless. Amen. As you are able, I invite you to rise.